morning, Granville. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Today, we are continuing our sermon series, So That You May Believe, Jesus' words to his disciples before they are on their way to Bethany, where Jesus then raises Lazarus up from the dead. As Dan pointed out last week, in chapter 11 of the book of John, the chapter preceding our passage today, belief is talked about many times, and as people put their trust in Jesus, they are changed. As we heard last week, even with a faith as small as a mustard seed, God's glory and power can be experienced and then given testimony to, so that others may believe. At the core of chapter 11, Dan pointed out, is Jesus' question to Martha and all the mourners around Lazarus' grave, including Mary, did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Wow. If we put our trust in Jesus, look to him, come to him, pay attention and listen to him, in short, believe in him, we will see the glory of God. In a way, by highlighting this quote by Jesus, John is saying that, that what he experienced together with Peter and James at the Transfiguration as recorded in Mark and Matthew, namely seeing Jesus in his glorified state, can be experienced in some way by all who believe. While at the Transfiguration we hear the Father say that Jesus is his beloved Son and we are to listen to him, here in John, Jesus himself is saying, did I not tell you, or in other words, did you not listen when I told you? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. So today as we explore this incredible promise further, we will focus on Mary of Bethany's faith. Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, a person repeatedly to be found at the feet of Jesus. As we look at the passage that was just read of Mary anointing Jesus, we will pay attention to how her belief in Jesus and seeing God's glory displayed transformed her heart and response to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, as we look more closely at your word and the life and story of Mary of Bethany, may you open our eyes to your glory and may we be transformed more into your likeness as our faith is strengthened by the witness of Mary's response to Jesus. Amen. As Mary was a very common name given to girls at the time of Jesus, so one in four girls were called Mary, <laughs> there has been some discussion around when scripture talks about the same person by the name and when it is likely to different Marys. And today we do not want to enter into the full extent of that discussion around the women called Mary and even stories of unnamed women whose stories match some of the stories where women are identified as Mary. Instead, we will look to other accounts as we explore what John might desire us to hear and see, and through him, 
what the Spirit of God might desire us to hear and see in regards to belief, faith, and trust. As we look more deeply into the anointing of Jesus by Mary of Bethany, Bethany in John. What is important to realize is that the gospel writers' witnesses to Jesus' life emphasize different things to draw attention to what is important to them in the telling of the story around Jesus as they experienced it. And God's spirit challenges us through those different ways. While all gospels tell us about the anointing of Jesus by a woman, only John names the woman as Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. So here we read, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, was, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. We can assume with some certainty that the anointing of Jesus by a woman in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 are referring to the same event, although the woman is not named and some details are diff different. All three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, place the dinner in the town of Bethany and close to the celebration of the Passover. Matthew and Mark, at two days before the Passover and after the triumphal entry, and John at six days before the Passover and before the triumphal entry. Thus, in spite of this discrepancy, both accounts place this dinner close to the time of Jesus' death which is the important thing to keep in mind as the story unfolds. In Matthew and Mark, the home the dinner is held at is the house of Simon the leper, whereas in John, the home can be assumed to be the house of Martha, or maybe Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It is very possible that Simon the leper was some kind of relative to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Some assume it might have been Lazarus' father. Others speculate it might have been the house of Simon um, at one point, but as lepers had to live outside of the town, now Lazarus' family lived in this house. But we cannot be sure. What we can see here in our passage is that it was important to John to make clear the connection between Lazarus' death and resurrection and the death and resurrection of Jesus and the role of Mary in this. What is very similar in all three Gospels, through, though, is the accounts of some guests' response to the very expensive gift of Mary's and Jesus' response in contrast to that. While in Matthew and Mark, some guests, and many of the disciples actually, respectively, are angry about the waste of money this gift represents to them, in John, Judas gets singled out as the one disciple who bemoans the waste and how it would have been used for the poor. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, 
but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. John here speaks in hindsight, as by the writing of this gospel, Judas' betrayal would have been known to him, and so contrasts Mary's devotion, trust, and generosity to Judas' love for money and his blindness to who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Now, in contrast, Jesus comes to Mary's defense. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save the perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. In Matthew, Mark, and John, he commends her for her action and points out that he won't be among them much longer, but the poor will be, and that this perfume was meant for the day of his burial. At this point, let us also look at the fourth gospel account of an anointing of Jesus by a woman in Luke 7, where a so-called sinful woman, or a woman of ill repute, anoints Jesus. Many scholars in more recent years have come to the conclusion that this is very likely not Mary of Bethany, as the location is not Bethany, and close to Jerusalem, but further north, too far to get to the Passover celebration in Jerusalem in time. Furthermore, Jesus on that occasion was invited by a Pharisee, an invitation he very unlikely would have followed so close to the Passover as the threats on his life by the religious leaders had increased. And Jesus basically had been in hiding after the raising of Lazarus. However, what is the same in the story of Luke is that the woman in Luke, like Mary of Bethany in the book of John, is at Jesus' feet attending to him like a slave or servant who would have been there to wash the guest's feet as they were coming into the house. In addition, she, like Mary of Bethany, is also drying her feet, his feet, with her hair, a peculiarity that is not part of the account in Matthew and Mark, and by any standards has to be seen as a very unusual, if not remarkable, part of our story today, showing great self-abandonment and willingness to humble herself. And it's not recorded in any other place as part of an anointing. And last but not least, Jesus comes to the woman's defense in Luke, as he does in John to Mary. John's emphasis on Mary anointing Jesus' feet is definitely an important detail. In Matthew and Mark, we learn that there the woman is anointing Jesus' head, which is the normal way anointing would be expected to happen. And in Mark, Jesus talks about his whole body having been anointed. Therefore, we can imagine that Mary also might have anointed Jesus' head and not only his feet. As a matter of fact, likely maybe his whole body. There was certainly enough perfume for that. However... John emphasizes the anointing of the feet. And not only that, but drying them with her hair. And we have to pay attention to this picture he's painting of Mary as a woman who is so focused on serving and honoring her Lord that she humbles herself at his feet and apparently not showing any concern 
about how her drying the feet with her hair might have been perceived. In both Luke and John, Jesus comes to the women's defense because he sees the beauty and humility in what they're doing. In Luke, he commends the woman's great outpouring of love that comes out of gratitude for having been forgiven much. And in our passage today, he commends May for her undivided attention to his presence, um, pointing to his burial, which no doubt, um, at least partly, comes also out of her great gratitude for the miracle he performed by resurrecting her brother Lazarus. And in that posture, she somehow embraces the next important part of the salvation story without even fully understanding it. At this point, it is notable at, uh, that whenever we hear about Mary of Bethany, we get the picture of a humble person who often can be found at the feet of Jesus. In Luke 10:39, we hear that Mary sits at the Lord's feet, listening to what he says, and she gets criticized by her sister Martha because of that. In John 11:32, after being informed by her sister Martha that Jesus is asking for her, Mary goes and falls at his feet upon meeting him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And finally, in our story today, Mary pours perfume on Jesus' feet and dries them with her hair. And in doing so, she is putting herself on the same level as a slave whose task was to wash the guest's feet, actually puts herself even lower, as she's not just using a towel, but her own hair to dry his feet. So what do we learn about Mary? Mary is a person who wants to look up to Jesus as he's teaching and not miss a word. She seems fully present to him whenever he is around. She's a person who humbly falls at Jesus' feet when she does not understand why the circumstances are the way they are. After all, at this point, her beloved brother had just died from a sickness and that she had been hopefully confident Jesus could have healed if he had been there in time. But even in her grief, she falls at his feet and she proclaims faith in Jesus' healing power. And finally, Mary is a person who can be found at Jesus' feet in costly devotion and in self-abandonment, even opening her hair something respectable Jewish women would not do in public so that she can dry his feet. Now let's look back more closely at the first three verses in our passage, and especially this verse three. As Mary is in the presence of Jesus in our passage at hand, she's fully attentive to him, not distracted by any other things she could or in the opinion of other people, should or not, should not be doing. As her family is hosting this dinner in honor of Jesus, she seems fully focused on what she can do for Jesus that would honor him. And so she comes with this quite large amount of very expensive perfume, and she anoints him. 
At this point, it should be said that Lazarus and Martha also do their part of honoring Jesus at this dinner. Martha by serving, notably without complaint about the very unhelpful sister, and Lazarus by joining Jesus at the table, a walking miracle, testifying to Jesus' great power just by being there. Everyone present at this dinner feels the weight of these days, a mix of great excitement and enthusiasm of who people discover Jesus to be, and at the same time, fear of what religious authorities might do. Joy and fear, a sense of life and death are present at the same time. Mary, however, comes with this very expensive perfume and lavishly pours it out on Jesus, so that, as John tells us, the whole house was filled with the fragrance. And as one commentator points out, likely Jesus took that fragrance with him as he left, and it would have stayed on his skin and clothing. Mary certainly believes that Jesus only deserves the best. And as she's doing this, two things are highlighted. One explicitly by Jesus, and one implicitly by Mary's action. The necessity of Jesus' death in order to be glorified in the resurrection, first of all, and foot washing as a humble service to others that reflects Jesus' love and service for us. Going back to Jesus' response, Jesus first of all points out that this anointing is acknowledging his impending burial. So in her devotion, Mary unknowingly enters into Jesus' story as it is unfolding. Trustingly, pouring out this expensive fragrance while knowing that death threats are in the air from the religious leaders and likely sensing that Jesus' death is a real possibility. However, I'm thinking her devotion might have been a desperate act of belief that this man who brought her brother back to life will also somehow overcome those death threats. Jesus, however, is taking this opportunity to once again announce his burial, his death, in the near future, and commending her for her act of devotion. So all this to say, Mary by no means has full understanding of how she's taking part in Jesus' story, God's story of salvation but gives at great cost, and Jesus is glorified as the house fills with this fragrance, the aroma of the perfume. And in that moment, I'm sure no one could not pay attention to this fragrance and respond to it. Just imagine for a moment what it might have been like to be at this dinner in honor of Jesus, and as you're eating and enjoying the conversation about this incredible miracle Jesus performed for Lazarus, and listening to Lazarus still being in awe and incredibly thankful to have this second chance at life, 
when all of a sudden, Lazarus' sister comes to the table, pours out about half a liter of perfume under the honored guest, and the whole house fills with the fragrance of this expensive perfume. If I poured out half a liter of perfume in this room, I know some of you would be running out because you're allergic to perfume, but it would fill this place with that fragrance as well. So may I invite you to close your eyes for a moment and listen to your heart as you ask yourself some questions. How would I have responded? Would I have been upset at the interruption that almost takes my breath away? Would I have been like Judas or other guests who could only think of the waste of money? Would I have pointed out how this money could have been put to better use? Could I have been like Jesus and able to see the beauty in this? And if I were Mary, would I have poured out this expensive gift so humbly and generously? What thoughts and obstacles would there have been for me to show that kind of devotion? There's no way anyone could have ignored this fragrance and not respond in one way or another. Seeing the beauty or criticizing the waste. Comparing ourselves to, well, I wouldn't do that, or, well, I wish I could do that. So we hear in John that Judas was dismayed by this waste of money as he was focused on his own involvement with and benefit from the money bag he was in charge of. His focus was on the money not Jesus being glorified through his expensive gift, prepared for burial that would be the pretext for the resurrection and part of God's great salvation plan. Like Lazarus had to die so that those who believed could see the glory of God, Jesus had to be buried so that all who believed could see the glory of God in the resurrection. Some people later looked at the cross and just saw it as defeat and loss. But from God's perspective, it was his great love for humankind displayed on the cross. God glorified by his willingness to go to the cross to save mankind. Victory was won on the cross not what the religious leaders thought, not what the Romans thought, not what Judas thought, but believers like Mary acknowledged in faith 
that there must be more to the story than what they can see. And their fragrance fills the house. Again, there is no indication that Mary had full understanding of all this. And I know we all like to understand things to the T. But she acts with trust in self-abandonment. And the house is filled with the fragrance of one who believes in Jesus. And Jesus is glorified even then. And as he's going to the cross. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians later, refers to believers in this way. As the um, Living Translation puts it, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. Our lives are Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. As we are following Jesus today, we are carrying Christ-like fragrance as we are willing to love, serve, and sacrifice as Jesus did. And to those open to this love, service, and sacrifice, it will be a fragrance that gives a glimpse of the glory of God. To others whose hearts are not willing to receive it, it will feel like a waste, foolishness, or weakness. In his sermons on Ephesians, Daryl Johnson, uh, Johnson puts, points out that as we are alive in Jesus, as his followers, we will love and serve others by literally pouring out our love on them. Why? Because we want to pour out our love on Jesus. And pouring her love out on Jesus through this generous gift is what Mary of Bethany was doing. Then John emphasizes Mary's anointing of Jesus' feet and drying them with her hair. Again, in her devotion, she unknowingly enters into Jesus' story as it develops. And we are experiencing a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for his disciples at the Last Supper, washing their feet, and in the end saying, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And here's Mary doing what Jesus would ask of his disciples a few days later. And in her devotion, she aligns her heart with the heart of Jesus. His desire for us to serve humbly and willingly like he does. So nothing ever is wasted on Jesus if it is done in self-abandonment, humility, coming from the heart. And Jesus will recognize it and is ready to defend us, even if others criticize. Mary wanted to learn from Jesus, and so she chose to be at his feet. Mary did not understand all that was happening, but she chose to humble herself and keep believing in the power of God. Mary chose to give to him at great cost with an open heart that had great faith that Jesus was worthy of her surrender, humility, and sacrifice. Again, even when she did not understand all that was happening. So are we willing to declare again every morning 
that God is God and we are not. That despite the circumstances we are facing, and as we look at the ups and downs in our life, we need to stay attentive to Jesus, to his word. That we need to keep believing that he is present, active, and loving in our lives, even if circumstances might want us to believe otherwise. Do we believe that as we open our heart and faith to Jesus, we develop a heart, sometimes even unknowingly, that aligns with God's heart and plans, and God can use this to his good purposes. That we are not so much doing things for God as much as entering into and participating in what God is doing. As Mary washes Jesus' feet as he later commands his disciples to do to each other, she is led by her heart without even having been given that command yet. It is not her mind that shoulds her into this action, but her heart guided by love and trust. Mary anointed Jesus for burial as she was giving this extravagant gift without really understanding, but giving Jesus a sacrifice for us, the significance and fragrance it deserves. And Jesus acknowledges that. So what do we want to take away from Mary's demonstration of faith in Jesus? I want to ask two questions. What does our belief in Jesus look like? How are we sitting at Jesus' feet? And first I want to suggest our eyes need to stay on Jesus. We have to become aware of distractions that keep us from being attentive to Jesus and turning back to him. Often, again, and again. Not thinking first about what others might think, but wondering about what Jesus might be thinking. What he might want before anything else. Setting our eyes on Jesus, either in times especially set aside for him, or throughout the day, establishing a rhythm that helps us to turn our attention to Jesus. Prayers in the morning, at midday, and in the evening, even as they might be short, they help us to reorientate. Simple questions, it's one of my favorites, because it's so easy. Simple questions to Jesus as we are going about our day. What do you see, Jesus? What are you asking of me? What do you want to give me? They all can be helpful to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to be aware that in our world where self-sufficiency is highly valued, always looking to Jesus for wisdom will feel humbling. then we also need to trust in Jesus. Which means when we don't understand the circumstances we find ourselves in, we are invited to trust that God is still in control and more importantly, with us. So going to sleep every evening, intentionally putting the new day, 
the Hebrews start their day at night, putting the new day into the hands of God, trusting that he has everything under his control as we are basically going unconscious. And we can rest and then join Jesus in what he is doing in the morning. Observing Sabbath and trusting that we are designed to work out of that rest rather than collapsing into it after we have worn ourselves out. Embracing Jesus' promise that he will be with us always. In our world where individualism is highly valued, trusting that we need the company and help of Jesus will feel humbling. And finally, we need to depend on Jesus. Costly devotion will only happen when we depend with all our needs on Jesus, trusting that he will provide what we need. Maybe not necessarily what we want. Out of that dependence, we can give of our time, energy, money, other resources. And it's important. God is not asking us of us what we don't have. So we are not talking about scraping the barrel and running on negative energy, which leads to burnout. But he does ask us to not be attached to what we have. Look at everything as a gift from him. We can give Jesus our best, including our best time, our greatest gifts and resources. And yes, we might very well do that by giving to the poor, looking out for the vulnerable. And finally, as we go from here, I want to ask this question. As we look to Jesus, trust in him and depend on him, what is the fragrance people will notice? The fragrance people who are open might notice are our unconditional love for them, generous giving, forgiveness, childlike trust, humility, facing suffering in the knowledge that we are not alone, accepting that death needs to precede resurrection, that loss precedes something new entering our lives. So let's go into this week and give the perfume that we have generously in honor of Jesus expecting that as we believe in the greater story of God, we will be able to get a glimpse of the glory of God in this world and give testimony to the great love of God for all of us. Amen. Amen.